yesterday and split up all over the city and served our neighbors. And we were usually around other nonprofits where we could help them, where we could offer assistance, uh, where we could dig some holes and plant some plants or clean up or, or do anything that they needed. And we had folks from our church at, I think, four different sites. Uh, it was really a wonderful day, and uh, all the feedback has been really fabulous. So if you participated in that, um, thank you for doing so, and, um, and thank you just from, from the church, the Big C Church, uh, all over. It's really something that we want to do uh, together with other churches in this city is to, show, to figure out how do, we, how do we get together and love our neighbors well. So that was yesterday. All right. Uh, open your Bibles, if you will, if you've got them, to uh, the Gospel of Mark. By the way, if you if you own a Bible, it's uh, it's always helpful to kind of have it with you at church. You can you can open up and make sure that I'm actually uh, saying what I'm supposed to be saying from God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to provide one for you. Just let us know, and we'd love to give you one. So we've been in Mark from Christmas to now, and finishing up really next week in Easter. So we're we're almost finished with our time in Mark. We are really marching closer and closer to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. We're in a time now that really is the most important time for the church. These are the things that we hang everything on. These are the reasons why we gather. This is the reason why a people as odd as we are, right? It's 2019, we live in New Braunfels, Texas. We are thousands of years and thousands of miles away from these events. But they are so impactful that we still today are gathering weekly to celebrate what Jesus has done. We're in chapter 14, and close to the end of chapter 14, where we're going to get to see Jesus institute the Lord's Supper, something that we gather around every week. It's great to maybe ask this question before we do. Why do we do this every week? Why do we take 15 to 20 minutes out of our weekly worship service? Why do we gather around and eat bread and drink wine or grape juice? This passage is why. So open your Bibles with you with me and follow along. Chapter 14, starting in verse 12, and I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat Passover? And he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher, uh, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepared for us. And the disciples set out, and they went to the city, and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, actually I'm going to skip down to verse 22 now. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. And he said to them, This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your table. As we gather around and we learn a little bit more about what these words mean, Lord, will you come and open our ears? Will you soften our hearts? 
We draw us close to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, this phrase, I forgot, is really kind of the phrase that you could probably say uh, dominated my youth. It was the phrase that I'm sure my parents and my teachers and any adult around me heard more often than any other phrase. Derek, where's your homework? I forgot. Uh, do you have your wallet? It's time to pay. Ooh, I forgot. There was a time when I was a freshman in college. Semester was over. It was time for finals. And I got myself up. I got ready. Packed my backpack or whatever. Got my pencil together. And I walked over to the auditorium where my class met. And I opened the door and I walked in for my final already. And I was the only one in the room. Evidently, the professor had been saying... Don't forget, we're not going to meet in here for your final. We're going to be in another room. And evidently, every other single person in the class heard him, except for yours truly, who forgot. I'm still doing this. Uh, this weekend, I actually planted some plants in the front bed of our house. But this is round three of planting. And this is why, is because uh, I get really excited and think we're going to plant some beautiful plants in our yard. And there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, remember, there are deer in your neighborhood, right? And I'm, eh, I'm not sure about that. So I plant these plants, and of course the next morning come out and the deer have mowed them down. So I look around and I go, okay, what do my neighbors have? Because their plants are growing, everything's fine, I make a mental note. But then I go to the nursery and like there's all these beautiful plants. And I have the same taste as the deer, I guess, because I just get these things and put them in the ground, and the next morning, zoop, they're just mowed down completely. Because I forget. You know, if we kind of start to trace our lives back, we can start to think, all right, where are the places where I'm forgetting? Because when we talk about remembering, we're not just talking about remembering as like recalling events. When someone says, remember your wedding vows, that's not, oh yeah, I remember that night, you know, it was great, it was a fun time. That's not what we mean. When we mean remember your wedding vows, we mean actually remember your vows so that they change you. So that your actions, your motivations, your thoughts change. Remember the Alamo means more than just, oh yeah, I remember that when all those people were slaughtered, right? It was the rallying cry of, this is how we are going to gather together and fight this is going to be the motivation for all of our action. This is going to be the thing that empowers us. So remembering is supposed to do more for us than just recall particular events. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to renew us. And again, if you start to trace backward your own thoughts or your own actions or your own motivations, once you trace them backward, you can actually start to find the ways that you either are or are not remembering who God is, what he's done, what Jesus has done for you and who you are in light of it. You may be here this morning feeling like you're kind of on cruise control. Like spiritually speaking, you, you've kind of just checked out. Yeah. You're here, you're doing the things, but really it's bland, it's kind of tepid. You would describe your spiritual life as something that's just kind of, eh. And maybe you want that to change. You're thinking, how can I actually have what I had in college? 
or, you know, that week at camp? Or how can I be close to Jesus the way that I was before my sister was diagnosed with cancer? Or maybe you're here and you're not stuck just kind of in, in, in the blandness, but really it's stuck in that cycle of shame and sin that keeps going round and round and you feel like you can't get out of it. Well, really, if it's either of these or any other kind of spiritual malady, my guess is one of the big problems is that we're forgetting. Is that we're actually forgetting some really important things. We're forgetting who God is. We're forgetting who we are. We're forgetting what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is calling his disciples here at a very important time to remember. To pause to insert in their spiritual memory, in the memory of their hearts, what he is doing, what he is about to do. We're given the opportunity to do the same thing every week. To come and to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because remembering, as is the title of the sermon, leads to renewal. It doesn't just lead to recalling whatever event, it actually changes us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How are we to remember, and how does it change us? And we'll talk about it in three ways. The three things that we're supposed to remember. If you like to take notes, you can write these things down. The first is that we're called to remember the story. That we're called then to also remember that we belong in that story. And that we are to remember the future. That sounds weird, but we'll describe it here in just a minute. Remember the story. Remember that we belong. Remember the future. Right, what do I mean by remember the story? Well, when we open up this passage in Mark, Mark tells us that they have gathered for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then later in that first verse, Jesus says, where are we going to celebrate Passover together? Well, Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're the same thing. It's a yearly feast God's people would have come together in Jerusalem for every year. Thousands of people would have come from miles around, gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is the commemoration of the Exodus. If you were to ask anybody, if you were to ask any Jew around the time of Jesus, what's the most important thing that's ever happened to our people? They would say it's the Exodus. In fact, if you were to kind of scour the Bible and say, outside of the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what's the most important thing that's ever happened in the Bible before Jesus? And pretty clearly the answer would be the Exodus. I mean, it's all over the Psalms. All over the prophets, God's people for thousands of years are always going back to this event. So let's just remember together what that event is. In the book that's named after it, Exodus in the Bible, uh, God tells us this. is that his people were enslaved in Egypt, forced into hard labor and under an oppressive regime by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And God, out of his love and mercy, takes them out of Egypt, and he does so with these incredible signs and wonders. He starts by inflicting plagues upon Egypt, and they build. The Nile River turns to blood. The, the land is filled with frogs and gnats. Terrible things happen. Hail comes down so hard that it kills all the animals. But Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and refuse to let God's people go. And finally, this last plague is that God is going to take the life of all the firstborn in Egypt. And what he tells his people is this. He says, I want you to do some really specific things. Take a lamb from your flock. It needs to be spotless, a perfect lamb. Kill that lamb. 
and take some of the blood of the lamb and paint it on your door. Sounds odd to us, I know. Paint it on the doorpost of your house. Paint it on the sides of the door. And then go inside, lock yourself in your house, cook the lamb, celebrate this meal together. Bake some bread, but don't wait for it to rise. Bake bread without any yeast because you're about to leave in a hurry. Now, two really important things that we need to remember that God says to his people there. He tells them to kill the lamb and he tells them not to go outside. Now, why is that? It's because they correlate to two really important things about God. His justice and his mercy. When he tells his people, don't go outside when the destroyer comes and is taking the life of every firstborn. Don't go out. The reason is, and the implication is, if you go out, you'll die. See, what God is saying to his people there, what he's saying to us as well, is there's nothing in you inherently that makes you any better. There's nothing about being Jewish. There's nothing about being a regular church attender. There's nothing about your activity that makes you any better than the Egyptians. In fact, God's people will prove this over and over. The first thing that they do when they're removed out of slavery and they get into the wilderness is they start worshiping an idol. It's very clear there's nothing about who they are that makes them any better. And God is saying there's a great leveling. Everyone is under judgment because no one has the righteousness to stand before the righteous judge. However, what he's telling his people is that though you deserve justice, I'm giving you mercy. He says, take the lamb and kill the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on your door so that when the angel of death comes, he'll see the blood of the lamb and he will count that blood as yours. The lamb will be the substitute. The lamb will die instead of the people. And so God's people for thousands of years have been gathering every year to celebrate this truth. Is that though we deserve God's justice, he has given us instead his mercy. The blood of this lamb has covered our house. And the lamb has died so that we wouldn't. That's what Passover is about. Now fast forward just a little bit, okay, to the New Testament. As we open up the New Testament, as you open up the Gospel of John, you see this guy up here, his name is John also, he's not the same guy that wrote the book. His name is John, we call him the Baptist, and he's preaching and he's saying the Messiah is coming. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. And there's this amazing scene where the first time that we read of John seeing Jesus... John's got his friends, his disciples with him, and he looks over and he sees Jesus coming. And he stops what he's doing and he looks at his disciples and he says, look, it's the Lamb. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, what John is saying to his disciples is, this thing you've been celebrating every year, this symbol that we have been celebrating and rehearsing, it's here. The real thing is here. The real lamb that all of those lambs before could not actually do. The thing that they could not accomplish is about to be accomplished by God's own son. Fast forward a little bit more to the passage where we just read. And Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples. They're there celebrating Passover together. His disciples have prepared the feast. They have been probably to the temple and sacrificed this lamb. They've brought it and they've roasted it and they've prepared the room. 
And they've set around it on this table all of these side dishes that are really specific side dishes. There's bitter herbs that they're supposed to uh, be eating. There's stewed fruit that is actually um, the color of the bricks that they would make for Pharaoh. And Jesus, as the host, like a father in a family, would sit down in front at the, at the head of the table and he would start leading them in this meal. And the Passover meal was not just a regular meal. They didn't just say, you know, let's say grace and let's everybody dig in. There was actually a rhythm to it. And they would go through and they would eat those bitter herbs and then they would talk about how the bitter herbs reminded them of the bitter slavery that they were under in Egypt. And they would eat that stewed fruit and they would look at it and they would be reminded of the color of the bricks that they would have to make. And they would celebrate this lamb who had taken their place. And Jesus, as he begins the meal and he breaks this piece of unleavened bread that, again, God's people would have been doing for thousands of years. And he says a prayer and as he's about to explain it, he breaks with tradition. And instead of explaining the past, he explains the present and the future. And he says, this is me. This bread broken is my body that's about to be broken. This wine poured out is my blood that is about to be poured out for you. This lamb sacrificed is me, the one who will take the death that you deserve. See, when we get together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, we're rehearsing a story. We're rehearsing a story that we've been brought into. That Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, has been placed before us, has taken God's wrath, has taken the justice so that we might receive his mercy. That's what we celebrate together. It is the good news of the gospel. If you've heard us say that word, gospel, it just means good news. And that's really good news, isn't it? That those who deserve punishment would be given instead mercy. That those who deserve to be cast out would instead be brought in. That those who deserve death would not receive it, but someone else would. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Christians celebrate. That's why Easter is such a big deal. That's why it's such a big deal that we gather even today. So that's the story. Remember the story. Because remembering that story really matters. Here's the second part. Is that we're called to remember not just the story, but that we actually belong in that story. We're called to remember that we belong in the story and belong to the Lord. Our church is part of a denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America, or PCA. And our denomination has adopted uh, a, a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a very old document written in the 16th century. And it's really just a summary of what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says about God. Here's what the Bible says about mankind. Here's what the Bible says about salvation. Here's what the Bible says about things like the Lord's Supper. And when it talks about the Lord's Supper and baptism, these two words are often used. That it is a sign and a seal. Now we've already kind of talked about the sign part, right? A sign points us to something. It points us to the story. It shows us again what story we're in. But the seal is an interesting word. When I first read it, like the first thing that comes to mind for me when I read the word seal is like a Ziploc bag. You know, or a Tupperware container. Or that cling wrap that 
never actually does seal anything. But that's not the kind of seal that's being talked about. There was no Ziploc bags in the 16th century or the Bible. The seal that's being talked about is actually a king's seal. In ancient times, and really continuing through monarchies even up to today, uh, kings would have a mark. It would be maybe a mark in stone or a stamp that would be able to say, this comes from the king. You might have seen the presidential seal. Only the president can send out the presidential seal. And so if you got a letter and it came from the king, what they would do is they, they'd melt a little wax kind of there, you know, where the letter was sealed, and then stamp down the seal, and you'd look at it and you'd say, that's the king's seal, this came from him. And anything that belonged to the king would have the king's seal on it. My dad is kind of like this. He will mark everything that belongs to him with a black Sharpie marker, and it says R. McCollum. And so like, you can walk all throughout his house. In the If you ever robbed my dad's house, you would be like a walking billboard for my dad, because you would have his name all over you. I, one time, and this is, this is totally true, I one time went into Goodwill to shop, and I went to the shoe rack, and I, I said, oh, that's a nice pair of shoes. And I pulled the shoes off, and I looked at the bottom, and it said Arma Column on the bottom in black Charlie. No lie. That's what God is doing, though, for us in the Lord's Supper. He's writing his name on us. We, it's, like we're, it's like we come to the supper, and we take the bread, and we drink the wine or the juice, and God is taking out the big Sharpie mark, and he's saying, you belong to me. You're mine. I love you. You belong. I've made you mine by the blood of my son. Now, we need to hear this for a few different reasons. Some of us need to hear this because there's always something nagging in the back of our head that says you don't belong. If you are a child of divorce like I am, which the demographers would say is about half of this room, then this may be something that you really struggle with. This feeling that I don't really belong in any family, and I don't really belong anywhere in the world. If that's you, you need to hear today as we come to the table, as you take the bread and the wine, listen as Jesus says to you, you belong to me. You're mine. You are part of this story because I've made you mine. It's also the reason why, as I stand up every week and introduce the supper, I say, if you are united to Christ by faith, this table is yours. It's because that sense of belonging, the place where we receive the mark of belonging, is for those who belong. Because it's really not appropriate for those who are not showing that they belong through their confession and through their life to be acting like they belong. If that's you this morning, let me just say that maybe Jesus is pressing on you today. Maybe Jesus, maybe this is the time where he is pressing on your heart to say, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done for you? Come and welcome me. If that's the case, please come and find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. All right, let's move to that third piece. We said that we remember the story. We remember that we belong in that story. The third piece is that we remember the future. Now, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Remembering is supposed to be something that we do from the past. How can we remember the future? Well, here's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. Is that we know the end. 
is that if you open up the Bible, you are actually told not only what has come before and what is happening now, but what's going to happen. God shows us a glimpse of the end, and guess what? Like, He wins. It's pretty great. Listen to these words from the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. This is a vision that God gives the Apostle John, and much of this vision is telling him, here's what's to come. Listen to what he says in chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And this is what they were crying out. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, what John is saying in some strange imagery there is the church, that's the bride, and Jesus, that's the groom, will one day actually celebrate this beautiful marriage together. And we will gather together and he will throw a feast. In ancient times, that's what the bridegroom would do. The groom would actually throw a feast for everybody and gather everyone together. And there'd be amazing, rich food and wonderful wine. And it was a huge party. And God is saying to us, that's going to come. And yes, I actually believe there will be real, good, rich food and real, good, fabulous wine. And we will enjoy it together. There will be a feast, and we will be invited. And friends, we get a taste of it now. God has like set an appetizer out for us, just to whet our appetite. To say, here's a little taste of what's to come. It's like going to the movies and seeing the trailer. It's like my favorite part. If we're late for the trailer, it's like, I don't even want to see the real movie. Because the trailer is the best part. It's this little glimpse of getting excited about, oh, I'm so excited that movie's going to come out. This is a little glimpse of it. Last night, I went with my family, with others here, drove all the way to Austin, went to see the Texas football spring game. It was a practice, okay? It was literally, they played each other. There was this weird way of keeping score. There will be no record books that ever have any mention of this game. There was no value to this game at all. But like 35,000 of us showed up to watch it. <laughs> Why? Hope. Right? Because it's exciting to know this is what's coming. There's hope always for the future. Paul Simon has a song that I think captures this so well. A song he wrote in the 70s called Train in the Distance. And the repeated refrain is, Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. He ends the song with these words. Uh, what, is, what is the point of this story? What information pertains? The thought that life could be better is woven indelibly into our hearts and our brains. It's true. As human beings, that's the way that we're wired. Hope is woven into us. A Simon's song is bittersweet because that hope is never really realized. The Bible says that it will be. That that hope that God has placed in our hearts and He's woven into our hearts and our brains will one day be realized. We get to remember 
that future now. Right, let's end quickly with just a couple of applications. Again, let me just address two groups that could be here today. Maybe you're saying, I just keep dealing with this thing called shame. With this idea that I'm not enough. With this idea that no matter what, there's just something that's always lacking. And it always keeps me from engaging with who Jesus is. Because there's always this feeling bearing down on me that I'm not enough. I need you to listen to these words now. Is that Jesus says that though that is true, that what is in you is not enough, what is in him is more than enough. And if you belong to Jesus, he has said, you are mine, you are enough. Come and remember that wonderful truth. Come and taste it. Come and feel it. Come and smell it. Remember with your mind, remember with your body, remember with your heart who you belong to. Or maybe you're that other group who's on cruise control. You're a confessing Christian. You come to church, but you've stopped listening to God and His Word. You've stopped talking to God in prayer. You just Life is just moving along, just slowly, in a very stale way. How do you find that renewal? It's really found through remembering. Remembering who God is. Remembering what He's done. Remembering what story you've been brought into. The beautiful beginning of the story and the glorious end of that story. Remembering that you belong to Jesus. That's what changes us. That's what drives us. That's what makes our lives and our thoughts and our actions new. That's our prayer this morning. That we would gather around now, in just a few minutes when we're going to gather around this table, and that we would remember. And that in remembering, we might be renewed. Let's pray. Lord, it is a beautiful privilege to come and not only remember these things in your word, but to then come and practice it together. To practice remembering together as we walk up and take a piece of bread, put it in our mouth, and drink wine or juice. Lord, they're just regular things. But in your love and mercy, you've given these regular things that you might do something really irregular in us. That you might remind our hearts that you have done what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
pray with me? Lord, we do thank you again for calling us to remember. Calling us to remember your majesty, your kingship, your holiness, your glory, or the things that we often forget. Calling us to remember at the same time your mercy. Lord, these two things that just don't seem to go together very well in our minds, you've told us come together perfectly in Jesus and his cross and resurrection. Lord, will you teach our hearts to remember those things today? And Lord, as you do so, that that remembering would actually change the way that we act, that we would move out into the world as your people, that our activity in this life would reflect who we are and what you've done. But we do pray for your kingdom to be at work in our midst, for it to expand all around. We start even with this city. We thank you for the ministry of options for life and for Beverly Ewald, the director there, for the great work that she is doing to promote life, to give pregnant women a chance to see that life promoted, exalted, and celebrated. Lord, we pray for your church as it expands in our area, both in New Braunfels and in San Antonio. And I pray for my friend, Michael Novak, and the church that you've called him to, Trinity Grace in San Antonio. They're worshiping right now. They may be doing the same thing that we're doing right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would use them to reach the people in northwest San Antonio with the good news of your gospel. Lord, even in that same region, there's an enormous campus full of college students, many of whom have no clue of the best news in the world. So, Lord, we pray for that campus, UTSA. Pray specifically for the ministry of RUF there and for Curtis Castleberry, their campus minister. For the students in that ministry, that you would use them to minister the gospel to their friends, to their roommates, to their sorority sisters to the people in their clubs or their teams, Lord, that you would show this campus who you are. Lord, we do pray for our nation for its welfare. Lord, that the people of America would come to know uh, the gospel, that it might change our hearts. Lord, that you would even govern us in ways that are good and right and true. That you would make those who are given those positions of government, Lord, to desire to follow righteousness and justice in what we do. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to expand uh, all over this world. We ask your blessing on Rachel Bowserman in Japan, uh, that the gospel would sink deeply into the Japanese soil, Lord, that many might call on you and proclaim your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the big serve this weekend and the way that your church in New Braunfels gathered together to serve their neighbors. I thank you for the many partnerships that have been made and are continuing to do so. I pray that you would make us unified as a church. You've called us to that in your word. And the Lord, in doing so, that those who receive service would receive your love. Father, I do pray for the campus of New Braunfels Christian Academy for the administration there and the teachers, for the board members. Lord, they need uh, extra amounts of wisdom and grace to finish out the year in a way, Lord, that leads children in the gospel, 
that teaches them the things that they need to know, that shapes young lives. And so, Lord, we do pray your blessing on that staff and administration and on the board that governs them all. And Lord, I'm asking that even our little efforts in what we do in this church would be glorifying to you. That as we start to gather monthly to pray that you would honor those prayers. That you would gather many people to come and simply lay themselves down before you and pray that your kingdom would expand. But I pray for Tom Lander and ask your care and his recovery from successful ankle surgery. As he's laid up in bed for the next couple of weeks, Lord, uh, fill him uh, rather than with despair, with hope. Give him, uh, Lord, encouragement and uh, give Judy as a great encouragement to him as well. I want to pray for the Spahn family, particularly for Lori's father being diagnosed with cancer. I pray that those treatments would go without complication and that you would bring, uh, that you would bring comfort and hope to that family. And Lord, we pray for Cullen Baker for successful and safe completion of Ranger School this week. I ask your blessing upon him. Lord, we do all of this because you have called us to yourself, because you have said that you want to hear our prayers, because you've said that you're at work, and we want to be a part of that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that opportunity. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. told us that when we come and we gather to worship that he's with us. He's with us in his word. He's with us as we gather. He's with us at his table. There's not much more I can say to introduce this except to say that if you are struggling in your faith, this is the place to be strengthened. If you are one of those who is stale, this is the place to be refreshed. If you are in that cycle of guilt, shame, and sin, This is the place it can be broken. Come and taste the Lord's goodness. Come and feel and hold this wonderful remembrance of what he's done for us. This is the table of the Lord, which is given for God's people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great redemption. As we celebrate this little taste, we do remember the celebration of this supper that you called your people to for thousands of years. To come and to remember, to remember that you rescue, to remember that you brought them out of slavery and and married yourself to them. Lord, you've done that for us. Through the work of Jesus on our behalf, you have married us to him. And Lord, that reality is true now. And the celebration of that reality is still to come.